0: Uh, This morning, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark, our series we're simply calling Follow, in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And I want to speak to you today about the sun and the storm. The sun and the storm. You and I both know that we all go through various storms in our lives. There are moments and seasons where we face what feels like increasing resistance. We all experience the swirl of various elements within us and outside of us in the fallen world in which we live that provoke storms of the soul. We were reminded of this again this past Tuesday when a 21-year-old white man by the name of Robert Allen Long opened fire on three massage businesses in and around Atlanta, Georgia, killing six Asians and two white people. These heinous crimes have left america and especially the asian american community in our land reeling and grieving over what has happened but these events have helped us learn that this is not just a, a one off that that if we were to go to the nonprofit stop aapi hate they would tell us that over 3,800 incidents of racial hate has happened over the past year. And you and I both know when it comes to abuse, any form of abuse, be it domestic, child, sexual, racial, spiritual, you fill in the blank, uh, there are always more events than what are reported. And so my, my goal here this morning is not to uh, examine, you know, motives of this man or offer analysis and, and detail of all the details that have happened. But my aim is simply this, to point out the fact that Asian Americans are hurting. They're hurting because of everything that, that has not just this week, but, but has increasingly mounted over the past year, which shows us once again, as we've been talking about how we can seek justice and seek racial justice in our nation, how this is not a one-off. And so it's, it's up to us to do better. Tuesday's shooting is all the more egregious when we learn that this, this man was a part of a church, a confessing Christian, who was a part of a church of ones like the ones we partner with and associate with. And so I think we would all agree, we, we need to do better. Not, not just the church, but America, our, our, our nation, we need to do better when it comes to understanding the dignity and value of every human soul and how we can seek justice and raise our voice when there are Any kinds of injustices that happen against another human being. And my hope today is that as we look to this story of Jesus Christ and we see the sun and the storm, specifically the sun in the storm, you will experience a profound hope that comes from understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he offers us as we face the various storms of our soul whatever those storms may be so i want to read for us from mark chapter 5 sorry mark chapter 4 starting in verse 35 where we see this story of Jesus calming A storm. Mark writes this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be Still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray one more time. God, we ask that in these moments we would hear your voice in your words. And God, whatever, whatever condition of our souls today that we come here with, Lord, whatever level of, of, of anxiety or disturbance or, or grief, Lord, that we carry, that we would experience who you are, that we would hear your voice that says, peace, be still. God, that's only a work that you can do in our hearts to bring true peace, a peace peace that surpasses understanding. And so, God, help us to have eyes to see, eyes of faith, to see who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, and what he is still doing, what he is offering us today as we learn what it means to follow him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're journeying through the gospel of Mark, we understand that we, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 34, we were exposed to the teaching of Jesus and how we received the teaching of Jesus and about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God is like a growing seed. It's like a mustard seed that's growing and expanding and, and changing lives. But now we move from what Jesus said in his teaching to what he did in his miracles at the end of chapter 4 and through chapter 5. And all of this points to who he is. The details of this text point us to an eyewitness report, which is most likely Jesus' closest disciple and leader of the early church, the apostle Peter. And as the story begins, we see in verse 35, it says, on that day, okay, so th- this, this same day that Jesus is teaching from the boat because the crowds are pressing in on him, okay, that very day, he's, he's ending his teaching, and evening comes. I mean, this, this shows us that Jesus was not afraid of hard work. I mean, we work pretty hard as college students, as Bostonians uh, in our jobs, okay? Jesus understands hard work. And at the end of that day, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, when you're reading narrative and and seeking to understand what the Bible says in the various narrative portions, there's a lot of narrative in the 66 books of the Bible. You always want to pay attention to the dialogue. And so when Jesus says, let us go to the other side, this is less of a suggestion and more of a command, let's go it's time to move. We are going to the other side. You don't want to miss that detail in the story. Verse 36 then says, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. This this tells us that part of the major motivation for Jesus is like, Jesus is in the boat, he's teaching, and the disciples like, you said, let's go, okay, we're taking off, because if we let you get out of the boat and onto the shore, the crowds are going to press in on you again, so you're just going to take off from the boat, we're going to the other side, but even as Jesus is seeking to get a reprieve from the crowds. It says that other boats were with him. It implies that other boats were following them across the sea. Jesus couldn't escape from the crowds. They kept going after him, not only to hear his teaching, but especially to experience his wonder-working power and miracles. What happens next as they were working the midnight shift? Verse 37 says this. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Can you can you see this? And so like we can we can picture what's happening as we're reading the words of the scripture. It says that that a great windstorm arose. This was an emphatic storm. If we were to, to read the text literally, it would say, a great windstorm of wind. We get the sense of this sudden storm popped up on the Sea of Galilee, and these were not and still are not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because the Sea of Galilee sits in what is known as the Jordan Rift with steep High hills on each side. The cold air. I'm not a meteorologist like Pastor John, but the cold air would come in on the warm lake air, creating violent winds suddenly. And we should understand here that Jesus and his disciples... We're not cruising around in a yacht like we might find on Boston's Harbor, or they weren't even in like a fiberglass boat that we might see moving slowly down the Mystic River or the Charles, okay? Like they were in an oversized rowboat. There was one found in 1986, archaeologists uncovered carbon, uh, you know, dating showed that it was from the, the second uh, century B.C. To the, to the first century A.D. They, they said it was 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. It would have held about 15 people. This is probably the kind of boat that Jesus and his disciples would have been crossing the sea in. Can you imagine 8 to 10 foot waves crashing in to the little boat that you're trying to get across to the other side? What would you do? How would you respond? Probably for some of the disciples, they were trying to row as fast as they could to get out of the storm. Perhaps others were grabbing uh, bucket pails and and tossing water overboard as the water was filling the boat. They were trying to get the water out. Some probably good Jewish people that they were, they were praying to God, God, help us get through the storm. Others may have been speaking like sailors, if you catch my drift. But what about Jesus? Jesus? It says in verse 38, but Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. What what a contrast between the disciples and Jesus. The storm is raging. The disciples are panicked. They're fearing for their lives. And Jesus is so sound asleep, he is in REM mode. And when we know that he's sound asleep, because the text tells us they had to wake him up. I mean, Jesus was fully man like we are. He, He had full human nature. And so he was like, he was exhausted after teaching all day and serving people. And the disciples come to him and they cry for help, but it Carried an accusatory tone when they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I mean, that's not like a super great way to talk to your leader, but especially when your leader is God. (laughs) How does Jesus respond? I hope you'll picture this with the eyes of faith. It says in verse 39 Jesus awoke, he rose up, and he rebuked the wind. And then he spoke to the sea these simple three words Peace, be still. It carries a definitive force be still and stay still. You have no business stirring up a storm here anymore. And Mark simply describes the miracle on the sea in these words, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Verse 37 says it was a great storm. Verse 39 says there was great calm. The word for great is megale, mega. It's it's a mega storm, but there then was a mega calm. And what Jesus is doing here is this. He's displaying his authority over nature and over his creation what's happening on the Sea of Galilee, Would have reminded the the, the disciples as they remembered their, their scripture, what they had been taught out of the Psalms, where in Psalm 107, verses 23 through 32, written seven centuries before Jesus was born and lived his earthly life, listen to what this Psalm says. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths of poetic language to show how the boat is rocking, going up and down. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. What an apt description of that stormy night. Verse 27 they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Does that, does that sound like the disciples? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. I'm pretty sure you caught what I'm trying to communicate. Verse 28, they cried to the Lord. They cried out to God. Verse 29, he, the Lord, made the storm be still. What does Jesus say on the Sea of Galilee? Peace, be still. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus has authority over his creation. This is so important for us. To, I mean, this is just important for us to understand. I mean, this is the most important truth for us to understand that Jesus is God, that he is our savior and redeemer. I mean, that's just encouraging for us. Like, if you, just want, if you want peace in your life, you need to understand who Jesus is, that Jesus is God. But it's all the more important to understand when various religions and worldviews would deny the claim that Jesus is God. Specifically for another monotheistic religion, Islam. In the Quran, it says in Surah chapter 5, where they deny explicitly the deity of God. Jesus and you may talk of as I have many times talked to a muslim where they will say Jesus never explicitly said that he was god but let's just consider the evidence that we've seen from mark chapter 4 so far is jesus the divine son of god mark chapter 1 verse 3 it calls jesus the lord Mark chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus sends the Spirit. As you read the Old Testament, who sends the Spirit? God sends the Spirit. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, which most Muslims are not aware of, Jesus is forgiving sin. Who can forgive sin? God only forgives sin. Then we see in Mark chapter 3, Jesus calling the 12 disciples as God called the 12 tribes of Israel to be his people. And earlier in chapter 2, Jesus calls himself the son of man, uh, divine language of the the coming Messiah in Daniel chapter 7. Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? Isaiah 54. God is the bridegroom. Jesus is the lamp. We saw this last week. Who is the lamp? God is the lamp. 2 Samuel 22, verse 29. And now Jesus is calming the storm. We just saw it. Who can calm the storm? God can calm the storm. And we're only in chapter 4. We're only in chapter four. If you want more evidence that Jesus is God and that he was very confident about the fact that he is God and was God and always will be God, you can just go read the gospel of John where there are seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. Who is the I am? God is the I am. Exodus 3.14. Yahweh, the divine name, comes from that statement, I am. Jesus said, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. And not only that, if you want to just like be really, really like, you're like, oh, I don't know about that. That's like another very clear connection. How about after Jesus rises from the dead, his disciple who doubted, who could not believe that a human being could rise from the dead, his name was Thomas, he sees Jesus in his resurrected state with the nail prints in his wrist and feet, and he sees him and he comes and he falls at his feet and he says, My Lord and my God. Jesus is divine, Jesus is God. And if he is, he's the only one worth following. He's the only one that can truly bring us life. But as we also saw and pointed out, perhaps this story, as good as any other, provides the greatest picture of what theologians refer to as the hypostatic union. Okay, hypostasis means natures. Okay, so there's a union of natures that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he is both at the same time, always. Fully God, fully man. Jesus didn't set aside his divinity when he came to earth and was born of a woman. We call that the incarnation. He was fully divine, but he took on our full humanity, which means he can calm the storm, but he needs to take a nap as well. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter one, verse 14. And so Jesus does Jesus things. He calms the storm. But then we get to the heart of the story in verse 40. It says in verse 40 that Jesus says to his disciples, why? Are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? As Mark Strauss says, having rebuked the scene, Jesus now rebukes the disciples. And these two rhetorical questions, they they served to teach his disciples that they should have great confidence in who he is. That they should have already been able to trust that, hey, if Jesus is in my boat, then I don't have to worry about it going to the bottom of the sea. And what is the response of the disciples? It says in verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who Then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. The text reads, they were filled with a great fear. They feared a great fear. And I love this. Their fear of Christ is now greater than their fear of the storm, which points out the greatness of Jesus. They had a greater fear of Jesus, which doesn't mean they were afraid, like they were threatened by him, but it means that they were in such reverential awe. This is not an ordinary man in our boat. He just spoke to the wind and the wind stopped. He just spoke to the waves of the sea and they were still. They were overwhelmed knowing they were in the presence of, as they would come to Learn and confess Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And we remember that this is why Mark wrote his gospel. In the very first verse of the book, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Throughout the gospel of Mark, he is helping people ask and answer the question, Who is Jesus Christ? Is he the Son of God? Is he divine? Is he the Messiah? Can we trust him with our lives? And Mark is saying, Yes, 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 and yes. And I stand before you today to help you see Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. You can trust him with your life. You can follow him. You can, and only in him, experience life now and forever. And so the point of the message today, as we learn from this story, is simply this, don't fear the storm. Have faith in the sun. Don't fear the storm, but place your faith in the sun. And I think this is so important. Why? Because I am a human being like you are human beings, and I know that our lives are full of opportunities for fear so many situations and circumstances, and wrestlings in our soul where we have opportunity to question the uncertainties and to fear what is happening around us or even within us. But what we see here is that every opportunity to fear is actually an opportunity to put our faith in Jesus. Don't fear the storm. Place your faith in the Son of God. And let me give you just three encouragements on how you can cultivate this in your life. Number one, take Jesus at his word. Take Jesus at his word. You remember I said the dialogue is important. I said, don't forget this point. Jesus said, let us go to the other side. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. What he says will happen will happen. Jesus is a man of his word. And, and there will be then a proportionate relationship between our confidence in what he has said and who he is and our faith. If we are truly trusting Christ and what he has said, then our faith will be higher and higher. To the point, I love this, that we can not only weather the storms of life that come against us, But we can even have the confidence. Are you ready for this? Are you daring enough to live this this week where you can only just like make it through the storm? And oh my goodness, we made it to the other side. Thank you. I mean, that's important. But I'm talking about the confidence to speak to the storm, speak to your storms. Come on, storm, come at me if you want. You can bring the eight to 10 ways. You can put them up to 15. I don't care if you bring it up to 50. Listen, I know who is in my boat. His name is Jesus Christ. I have nothing to fear. God himself is in my boat. And he said, we're going to the other side. That's so true that it might fire you up just a little bit. Maybe just maybe. So keep walking. Listen, this is how do we cultivate trust? How do we cultivate trust happens over time? Trust happens in relationship. So keep walking with Jesus. Keep learning about the character of God. Grow to understand how great is his faithfulness. We've already sing about it today. It's going to help you live with a confident trust. Then number 2, I love this. This is a little longer than most of my points and sermons. Okay, but 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 it's all here in the text, okay? Experience Jesus mega love and mega calm in your mega storm. Experience Jesus mega love and mega calm in your mega storm. We saw the contrast between Jesus and his disciples. The disciples are panicked. The physical storm set the conditions to provoke a storm in their soul. Note, I did not say that the storm caused their fear, but it provoked their fear. It showed the fear that was already in their hearts that just came out because the waves were crashing down. But Jesus, on the other hand, the storm is raging. He is sleeping. And if we read the Old Testament, the Bible shows us how restful sleep in the midst of dangerous situations depicts trust in God. The boat may be sinking, but we can rest assured that God has us, that he is going to carry us through. I was so encouraged this past week. We received a visit from our sinning church pastor. Dwayne Milione, who uh, is a dear friend, a mentor, who walked with me, walked with our church planting team to prepare us to, to move to Boston to start a new church. And as I was studying this text and then hanging out with him, I couldn't help but be reminded that I never once saw him panic as a leader, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. I never saw him panic. I can't remember a time where I saw a pastor in a clumpede, also the Italian stallion. Yes, his name is Milioni. Um, I coined that, by the way, um, not originally, but for him. Um, I, can't just, I, never, I never saw him rattled. Why is that? How can someone live with, with such a peace and a, and a confidence? It's because he knew who his God was. He knows who his God is. No matter what we face, when the storms of life rage, we will be tempted to fear. And the underlying question behind the question of will we trust God, will we have faith, as the storm is coming against us, is really a question of do we believe that we can trust God with our pain, with our confusion, with our relationships, with our future. The question of trust is a question of God's care. God, do you really care about me right now? Do you see what I'm going through? God, do you really love me? This is is what the the disciples are asking. They, They say in verse 38, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I'm willing to guess that if you have walked with God long enough, you have asked this question. Maybe many, many times, maybe dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. God, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you... Care. And, and this story helps us see that our God sees and our God cares. He cares enough, not only in his timing to still the storm, but he also cares enough to teach us, like he taught the disciples, what it looks like to learn to trust him. When a storm comes in your life, you should be thinking, okay, God, here we go again. You're going to help me to grow so that I can be taught to trust you. Because the question that we ask, and we, we just, this is just our human nature, right? Our fallenness and, and, and just how our, we're our growing in faith. When, when the storms come, we will be tempted to ask, God, wh- why am I experiencing this? Because If you love me, you wouldn't let this happen to me. Am am I right? Is this not how we think? But but here's a a better thought. here's Here's a truer thought. God, you must be allowing this in my life because you love me. Not, is this happening uh, because God doesn't love me, but this is happening because he loves me. He's, he's teaching me to trust him. He's teaching me that, that I can grow in my faith and, and trust him all the more, no matter what is coming against us. Dick Lucas says, Jesus sleeping in the storm and the subsequent miracle teaches them that they are to trust him as calmly and certain, certainly when he does nothing as when he moves in power. To trust him as calmly and certainly when he does nothing as when he moves in power. You say, well, Tanner, I just have a really hard time with that. I don't really appreciate that teaching. I'm not really, like, I, I hear Jesus doing that. I know Jesus to told me he's God, and there's plenty of evidence to believe that. But, you know, like, I don't, when, when the storm is breaking in on my boat and it's going down, I don't want Jesus to sleep. I want him beforehand stilling the storm before it gets to my boat. Okay. Let me ask you another question. This is, this is not as uh, a theological. It's a little more practical. What would we call any parent who fulfills any and every request of their children immediately? Foolish. Foolish. God loves us too much to give us what we ask for. Like what cuz what would we do? It's, it's not so much about God, it's about who we are. and what we, like, we would just ask and ask, we would be so incredibly selfish. So when God says no or when God says wait, listen, he's teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us what it looks like to keep walking through life with a greater relationship to him. Whenever fear comes it is an opportunity to trust in the mega love of our sovereign wise and good God. I love Psalm 56 verse 3 it simply says this you can memorize it right now. It says when I am afraid I will put my trust in you. When I am afraid fear will come. We're going to be tempted to fear. Things are going to come we're not going to have confidence about it. we're going to fear. But the way that we conquer our fear is through faith. Trust. Faith is not just believing facts. It's trusting with our hearts that we have a good father with a good heart who really loves us. And so I want to speak to all the redemption kids for a moment. Redemption kids, can you wave your hand? Okay, any kids in the room? Awesome. Any kids at home online, can you raise your hand? I see those hands. Okay, listen, I want you to know this verse. I want you to learn this verse. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Teenagers. Teenager, Where are my teenagers or tweens. I got a tween. Uh, okay, I got a queenager back there He's claiming teenager. Nancy's a queenager. Uh, I'm getting to the queen agers in a minute, Nancy. I right, like teenager, teenager home. I, I want you to know this verse. You're gonna come against circumstances that are difficult, that are hard. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And then all of the adults, college students, adults, seasoned queenagers, and kingagers, okay? Um, <laughs> Nancy, you made that up, didn't you? Oh, you should have. I'm going to give you credit, all right? (laughs) When we are afraid, we will put our trust in God. It's the only way to experience a mega calm in a mega storm because we're convinced that God has a mega, mega love for us that is undying, that is high, that is deep, that is wide, that is long, that is unsearchable, that we'll never be able to search out that's unsurpassing in our knowledge of it because it is infinite. God loves us. He cares for us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So we can lean on and experience his peace no matter what we're facing in life. And then finally, number three, we need to exercise faith. And when we do, we can be in awe of the Son of God. Jesus asked these two rhetorical questions in verse 40 Why are you still so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you. Have still no faith. And again, he's teaching us this this reciprocal relationship. More fear, less faith. More faith, less fear. And God wants us to live with more faith so that we'll experience less fear in life. I mean here's a, here is a theological question for you. I love this. Okay. There is a there's a verse 1 John 3:18 that says that perfect love, speaking of God's love, it casts out fear. But but, but what's the relationship between this truth in John 1 John 3:18 that perfect love drives out fear and our faith? Here it is. Faith appropriates the love of God. In other words, faith takes hold of the truth that God loves me and I can trust him, therefore I don't have to fear. Do you see it? So this is why, I love this, this is why, and it might even seem harsh to me you're reading this story for the first time or the hundredth time, and it might seem harsh again. Jesus, like they're in the middle of a storm. They are going down. They feel like their lives are going to end at sea, and you're waking up and saying, why are you so afraid? It's obvious why they're afraid. Have you still no faith? Wow, God, Jesus, that, that sounds a little harsh, But again, Jesus is teaching them to trust him. And he says the word still. You might underline the word still because what that word communicates is that they had seen the power of Jesus already to heal the sick and cast out demons and teach like no one has ever taught before. And so Jesus is saying, like, you already see the kingdom of God glowing before your eyes. You have every reason to trust me, you have every reason to believe that I will come through. And so if you want to cultivate faith, I'm going to give you two practical ways to cultivate faith in your life, okay? Number one, and we sing about it just a little bit ago about do it again, listen, because we're going to remember the, that how great is his faithfulness and how he's come through again and again, and we're just praying, God, do it again, come through again. Sometimes we just need to stop when you're stressed out, when you're afraid, when you're fearful, when you're depressed, when you when you're... Just going through it at work, in relationships, in this broken world in which we live. You probably just need to stop. And you just need to remember. God God showed up. God met me in that place. The, The last time I was afraid, God brought me through it. Oh God, thank you for being so faithful to us, God. More faithful than we deserve. You might need to write it down. Get a blank sheet of paper, grab a journal, great discipline and practice, and just start writing down what God has done in your life. There are old songs and old hymns that talk about count your blessings one by one. Talk about what God has done. I still remember them from a kid, okay? Like we need to count our blessings. We need to count and recount the works of God. God has been so good to you. He's just been so good to you. And you need to remember, open your eyes and see what he has done. And then, and then secondly, and this one gets me excited. This is challenging me, by the way, because I'm not always great at it. And perhaps you would say the same about yourself. As as a couple of authors recently have, have encouraged, if you want to grow in faith, here's what you need to do: put yourself in situations that demand faith. Here, here's what I'm saying: step out. Step out into a situation where you can't just rely on your wisdom and your strength and your game plan. Well, why did I can't wait to get to to Jesus sending out the disciples? What did he say? He said, take nothing. No extra cloak, no sandals, no food. Why? He's teaching them to depend on him. We have to learn to depend on him. So when we take a risk, like, let me give you just a few risks, okay? Like, number one, pray with someone. Pray with someone, even when you feel awkward about it. And notice the the preposition there, okay? I think I got my English right. right, Okay, it's not, not, I didn't say, I did not say what? Pray for someone. That's right. I did not say pray for someone. I said pray with someone. I'm talking about like going up, like even maybe to a stranger, you just met them and you're talking about whatever. And it's like, can I pray for you? You might be shocked that most people are not opposed to receiving prayer. (laughs) Pray with someone. Ask God to move in their lives. Hey, here's one. Take a pay cut. You want to talk about risky business in in our, our materialistic society? Okay, take a pay cut to pursue your passions to serve other people. There's a risk. You might find that you just learn to trust God a little more, but you also might find that you find a lot more satisfaction and meaning and fulfillment in life. Hey, here's another one. Tell someone about the good news of Jesus. Does does that ever feel like a risk? I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to think about me. I tell you that's a risk that's worth it. They're all worth it. Because eternal destinies are at stake. And the life that we're describing week by week at Redemption Hill Church, how we can have peace in life and peace with God. It's, it's all at stake that, that people would, would be set free from from everything that's coming against them because of how good Jesus is. I love what TJ Tim says in his in a book that I've read. It, it says he says, take a risk. <laughs> take a risk. Why? Your father is the king of the universe. You might want to write that down. Take a risk. Your father is the king. Like, you can take a risk. You can step out because God is your God, the king of the universe, the king who made everything. He is with you. He's your father. He loves you more than any earthly parent will ever begin to love their children. Dag, I know I better wrap up the sermon, but I'm just having so much fun up here in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 that I don't want to end it, but I'm going to end it right here. When we exercise faith. Oh, by the way, we'll talk about it in a minute. Postcards for Easter. Stay tuned. We, these are free. They're stamped. You can take a risk. You can take a risk and invite someone. Online, in person, take a risk. But, 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 but here, here it is. When we see Jesus for who he is. When we see Jesus as the Son of God who loves us, who is happy, happy, somebody needs to hear this right now. He's happy to be in your boat. He's happy about it. And even like even in their doubts, listen, Jesus isn't like saying, hey, we're going to the other side. When we get to the other side, you're fired, okay? You're canceled. I'm finding new disciples. No, he's patient with us. Thank you, God, for being patient with us as we're growing in faith to love people, to take risks in your name. And as we grow in faith, and as we see him for who he is, we will be in awe we will be overwhelmed. Jesus is amazing. There's nothing nor nor no one who is more amazing than Jesus Christ. And he's showing himself. Are you ready for this? I, I have a feeling most of you aren't ready for this statement, and that's no judgment, okay? This is just a prayer. God, make us ready for this, this statement. God, that you will amaze us every day. This is what he wants for us. Jesus doesn't take days off. He's working. He's showing up. If you show up and step out, I can promise you that he will show up and you will be amazed. Ray Ortland says this, Christianity is not about you being amazing, but you being amazed. We don't have to be amazing. God is amazing. If we step out, he will show up, and we won't be amazed with ourselves. We will be amazed with him, and other people will see how great he is, and hopefully they will be amazed by him as well. So God, that's our prayer. That you would work in our lives to see who you are, to see that you are the king of the storm, to see that you are undefeated when it comes to the storms that come against you. And that all we have to do is look to you and see your heart. See how kind you are, to see how much you love us, to see how much you care, to see how you're teaching us, to see how you're growing us. God, I pray for every person in this church, every person that may become a part of this church who are watching online, whatever they're going through, I pray specifically for our Asian American community as it's been a really difficult week. God, that you would comfort them, that you would speak, peace, be still, and that they would know you in a new way, in a fresh way. That this is, a, this is not just, you know, one God of many. That that might bring me a little bit of, it's like this is the God of God's. The king of kings, there's there's no other God. There's, There's just false gods that try to take the true God's place. But God, you are the true God. You are the one that we can follow. And so, Father, do a work in us that only you can do. We pray in the name of Jesus.